Now, what I want to do is I want to draw your attention uh, in your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, or there's a Bible in the pew, or the passage is listed in our bulletin this morning. I want to draw your attention to a middle portion of the Bible called the Psalter or the Psalms. And there's 150 Psalms in all. We're going to consider one Psalm this morning, and especially focusing a few verses of it. That is Psalm 90. Psalm 90. This psalm is, is, I think, appropriate for us to consider this morning. It was intentionally chosen as I was thinking through this particular Sunday. Uh, we had a public profession of faith from one of the younger members of our congregation. Um, there are many graduations happening this time of year. And then also we have a, a fundraiser by the younger members of our church to raise funds for a convention this summer. And I thought about that, and then I thought about Psalm 90. And Psalm 90 is a good psalm for us all to look at, but especially those of you who are younger here, because it reminds us that the claims of Jesus on our lives and the call of Jesus to come follow me does not begin when you're 20 years old or 25. It begins in the earliest years of our life. We're going to consider that this morning. So Psalm 90, we're going to read the whole psalm together, then I'll draw your attention to a few of the verses that we're going to meditate on together. So, Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O oh Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many, as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, Establish the work of our hands. This is what we call a, um, a perspectival psalm. It gives us a, a perspective on life, especially when we're young. Now, with that having been said, I want to draw your attention just to two verses this morning. Take a look at verses 12 and then also 14. So, the psalmist writes, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And also verse 14, 
another request. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. All right. Psalm 90, a basic theme of Psalm 90 is really this. It, 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 it gets at the heart of um, a very clear distinction between God and us. And it says this about God, about the creator, that God is eternal. That means he has no beginning, he has no end. The psalmist says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Okay, So you got what we call the, the eternal nature of God, the eternality of God. And then in contrast to God, in contrast to the creator, we have the creature. That means you and me. And in contrast to God, we are not eternal here. But we are temporal. That is, in a sense, we are here today and we're gone tomorrow. The whole point of the psalm is how, how brief, how brief life really is. It says it's like our lives are like grass, springs up one day and burns away the next. You notice as we were reading this, did you catch that where it talks about human life is 70 years, maybe 80 if we're strong. And, you know, when you're young, 70 or 80 years old, you know, that seems like a long, that almost seems like eternity. And yet when you get to that age, you're going like, where in the world did the time go? And you know what? When, when, you're, when you're young, and I'll focus on this on a couple of occasions in the sermon itself, when you're young, you really, you don't think so much about time. You don't think about the time when you're going to reach 70 or 80. When you're young, typically when you're a teenager, you're not putting money away for retirement because that, that seems like, you know, an eternity. It's way in the future, right? But what the psalmist is getting at is that 70, 80 years is really pretty brief. And even then, the reality is we, we a lot of us, a lot of, not a lot of us, but a lot of people in the world never even make it to 70 or 80. Some die actually very young. When I was young, I, ha I remember this, I have this memory, and for those of us maybe we're a bit older, middle age or older years, you have memories of when you're a kid, sometimes when you're just three or four years old, and they're kind of fuzzy, and yet they're still very real. And I have this deep impression of being in the state of Wisconsin where my parents and, and I and my brothers, we would go to Wisconsin to visit my, my dad's parents. So they were my grandparents. And I remember at one particular occasion, um, my, my, my grandparents were not very wealthy and they, they never really had a, they never retired in a home of their own. They just lived in a little apartment upstairs in a big house. And I remember there was a, there was a, a cemetery nearby connected with a church. And I don't know why we were walking through, but my dad and I were walking through there. And my, my dad pointed to um, uh, a gravestone. And he said, he said to me, he said, look at the gravestone. And I looked at it and he said, you see by the dates there that this, this little boy here lived to be only, I forget what he says, like two or three years old. And he said, I remember that story. And the town knows that story, that that little boy at one point had a very bad fever, and it was just burning him up. And so the parents, in a moment of desperation, it was in winter, they took that little boy and they put him into a snowbank to bring down, they thought would bring down the fever, but that's the worst thing you can do. And the child ended up dying. And, I, and, and the takeaway for me was like, that's pretty young. 
You know, and as a little kid, you start thinking about things. You know, you start thinking, well, maybe I, my dad didn't mean to scare me, but, you know, it begins to make you think, right? There was a man uh, many years ago, Robert Murray McShane, a Scottish minister, who preached a sermon called Why Children Should Fly to Christ. And he, in one point in that sermon, he noted in a major city in Scotland, Glasgow, he made the note that, in the sermon, that, that at that point in the 1840s, half the population of Glasgow never made it past 20 years old. That seems ridiculous to us today, with all the medical advances that we have. Still, the psalmist is saying, God can take any one of us at any time, even when we're young. Again, we don't oftentimes think about that when we're young. And what the psalmist, by the way, it's Moses here. I'll say something a little bit about him in just a moment. But it was Moses who, who gets at the heart of things. And basically, the, the first thing he says in verse 12 is, is, is Lord, teach us then. Because, because we normally don't think about dying the next day or when we're young, when we think we're going to live forever, Moses says, Lord, give us the kind of perspective where we're going to remember that life is short. In fact, he goes one step further. If you take a look closely at the words, verse 12, Moses writes, so, and he's addressing God here. He's saying, God, Lord, not only help us to remember, you you need to teach us to, 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 to number our days. He says, look closely at the word. He says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. It is a wise thing, and it's a good thing to think about the brevity of of life. And he's saying, Lord, teach us to do that. In the original Hebrew, actually, the word teach is not first. It's the word number. It comes to the four here. So literally, it reads like this. As to the number of days, teach us. See, the emphasis is on the number of days, which may not be many. And for some, they die young. And for those of us who live to 70 or 80, that's still rather short compared to the eternality of God. Now, I want to suggest to you that when you take a look at verses 12 and 14 in light of the whole of the psalm, remember it's written by Moses. I want to suggest to you that there are things probably going on in Moses' mind that are making him think about the brevity of life. If you read about the life of Moses, there's one book in the Bible in particular that says a lot of things about Moses as one of the central figures of the Old Testament. It comes from the fourth book of the Bible, the book of Numbers. And particularly in Numbers chapter 20, Moses is facing a situation where he, he must be thinking a certain point about the shortness of life. In Numbers chapter 20, it first mentions that his sister Miriam dies. And at the end of chapter 20, or toward the end of chapter 20, it talks about his brother Aaron dying. So he's got death on both sides. And then in the middle of it, there is, and if you, if you grew up in the church and you grew up with the stories of the Bible, you remember at one point that God commanded Moses to do something for the grumbling people of Israel, because Moses was in charge of all these people of Israel. Okay? And they were grumbling. And why were they grumbling? It's because they were thirsty in the desert. Remember, they had to travel through the desert on the way to the promised land of Canaan. So they're grumbling, and God said to Moses, okay, there's, there's a rock there. I want you to speak to the rock. It's called the Rock of Meribah. And when you speak to it, I will cause waters to gush forth that will quench the thirst of my grumbling people. And if you know the story, Moses didn't speak to the rock. Rather, he was so fed up with the grumbling of the people of God that he, that he hit the rock. He struck the rock, and then the water gushed forth. 
And basically, God said, you know, you didn't do what I told you to do. You disobeyed me. I just said, speak. Instead, you hit. It seems like a small thing to us, but there's no disobedience that is small in the eyes of God. And so God said, you know what? For that disobedience, you're not going to be able to go into the promised land. doesn't mean Moses was eternally damned. It just means that he's going to pay the, the consequence of his disobedience. He could not go into the land. So Miriam didn't make it in the land. Aaron didn't make it in the land. Moses didn't make it in the land. My point is, is that there's, in Numbers 20, there's this ghastly mixture of sin and anger and judgment and death. And Moses is like, we may not like to talk about these things, we may not like to think about them, but they're a reality. They're a reality. And because, there's, because they're a reality, we need to think about in our brief lives how we live our lives and that we count the number of our days as we seek to hopefully live faithfully before God. Because the anger of God upon sin and judgment upon sin is real. And so when you're young, well, all of us, but when you're young, you know, think about that. Think about that. Reminds me of a, another place in the Bible from the book of Ecclesiastes where we read this. Those of you who are younger, listen to this. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. It's like, wow, I don't hear that very often. What's interesting here is that the writer of Ecclesiastes is not saying, oh, you're young, man, you got to watch yourself every time because you never know when that lightning bolt's going to come from above and zap you. That's not his point. He, actually, it's the opposite. He's saying, when you're young, think about it. you got vitality. Those of us who are middle-aged, right, as we're getting tendon issues in our hands, a little bit of arthritis here and there, and when you get older and you're struggling with, you know, going into surgery for this or that, Man, think about it when you were young. You never had to, most of us never had to deal with it. You don't think about it. So enjoy life. But remember that one day, as for all of us, one day we're going to have to, we're going to have to give an account of God for how we led our lives, including our youth. Including our youth. Now, I'm not going to read all these passages, but did you notice that in Psalm 90, there are many references to God's anger and wrath and judgment and these kinds of things. And maybe if you've read Psalm 90 before, you're thinking like, why is he mixing that all in there? Well, it's because of the reality of sin and judgment, and one day we're all going to have to give an account. Okay, that's a reality. But Moses doesn't just leave us there and go, okay, now make sure you live a good life. You know, No. He goes on to say, actually, as we move on in the passage, he's saying, Lord, help us to count our days so that we may live a life of wisdom and godliness before you. But he goes on to say, also positively, verse 14, Lord, do this also for us. Notice what it said. Look at closely at the wording. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. When you're young, you should want to not only take account of your life, but you should, you should really want to know more and more something of the grace and the love of God that compels you to live that kind of life that we all need to live before the Lord. 
Lord, help me to know something of your love. The word love there is a word that you will oftentimes hear from this pulpit, and especially found in the Psalms is the Hebrew word hesed, which is covenant. Help us to know the covenant love. You know, I was, I was thinking that, about that with, with Ruth, that we're, we're, you know, when, when our children are born to Christian parents in this church, I mean, we bring them here at some point in the service. It's called the baptismal font, and they receive that sign and that seal of the covenant love of God where God places his mark upon them, and as the profession of faith form noted, God places his claim upon their lives. And as parents, what do we do? We not only indoctrinate our children and teach them about the things of God and of Jesus and the Bible, but we pray for them that God would touch their hearts and that already at an early age he may know some, they may know something of his love. Not just that they're going to have to give an account one day, but they may know his love. And the psalmist says in verse 14, he says, Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Now, some translations have it. Older translations read like this. Satisfy us, or literally, fill us early with your steadfast love. The word here is boker, which literally means morning. So this is a good translation. But I think what Moses is really getting at here is he's saying, Lord, in the, in the early morning hours of our lives, already when we're young, Show us something of your love. Produce that kind of warmth in our hearts that may draw us to you in our earliest of years. Now, you could ask the question, why, why does Moses state these things? Why does the psalmist state these things? Um, why, why, should we, why should we in our earliest of years number our days? Why should we in our earliest of years Pray to God that he would satisfy us with his love. Maybe more fundamentally, maybe we could ask ourselves the question, all of us, but if you're younger here, why in the earliest years of my life should I seek God? Why in the earliest years of my life should I only seek God but follow Jesus and his call upon my life? I want to give you three reasons, quickly. A couple of them found in Psalm 90. Why collectively should we seek God, especially when we're young? Number one, these are simple points, because as I noted before, life is brief. Life is short. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's described in this passage, Psalm 90, as the grass that, that comes from the ground and is green and grows brown the next, you know, within a very short amount of time. Or you live 70 or 80 years and then you're gone, that's it. Life is very brief indeed. Have you ever noticed in the Bible um, how many instances there are of people who never made it into adulthood but who died early? Um, sometimes they're babies. Think of the, 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 the baby of David and Bathsheba. Never even made it into childhood. Sometimes there's little boys, little girls who unexpectedly die. Sometimes young men. There's a story I was thinking about as I was pondering this passage this week that I happen to remember in the Old Testament where there's a woman simply known as a Shunammite woman during the days of Elisha the prophet. And she had a little boy. And we read this. 
when the child, the child of the Shunammite woman, was growing up, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. It was an agricultural community. And he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. Now, a child who sits on the lap of his mother, how old? Maybe, what, three, four, five, something like that? Who knows? But very young age. And then you think about that, and he goes, he's, he's in the field one day, and he's, he goes, oh, my head, my head. Now, is it, is it heat stroke? Is it a brain aneurysm? Is it hemorrhaging going on? Oh, you know. And we don't know. But all we know is that he was taken to his mother, sat on her lap, and that was it. He died. That's just one example. I've shared from this pulpit many times, and I'm not going to go into it now. I have a brother in the prime of life, 27 years old, never really flourished even into his 30s or his 40s, killed in a motorcycle accident near ASU. My wife Joy shared with me a month or two ago a student that she had at Gilbert Christian High, uh, Gilbert Christian High School in her choir and graduated, and I think was maybe a year or two after that. It happened just the last couple of months. One of the many, again, killed in a motorcycle accident. Um, you know, on the Phoenix streets. You, the, the, the point is, you don't know. I mean, the Bible says in another psalm, you know, God has ordained all the days of our lives for us before there's even one. And we don't all know the plan of God for our lives. And it could very well be any one of us driving home, hopefully this is not prophetic, after the worship service could die in a car accident. We don't know when our time is coming. Life is short. Therefore, Count your days. Count them. Take them seriously. Don't blow them off. Okay? Secondly, thing, moving on. The reason why we need to count our days and seek the Lord's love early on is not only because life is short, but because youth is, and it's an old, I think it's a Puritan term, uh, youth is a converting time. What that means is that youth is a very influential time. It's a foundational time. It's a very formative time. Therefore, don't waste your life. Here's something that I never thought about when I was younger, and I would dare say most of you have never thought about this when you were younger, but you think about it when you're older, and that is how, how formative those, those early years of your life are. And when you're young, you think you can kind of blow that part of your life away, you can waste a bit of it, you can, as the, the old term is, sow your wild oats, live the kind of life that you want to live, but you know eventually what we're going to do is we're going to get serious, probably go to college, meet somebody, get married, have kids, you know, lead the lives that many people lead. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it, it doesn't. You can waste your life. I think it was Robert Murray McShane who said, if you're not converted in your youth, it's likely you never will. By God's grace, sometimes it does happen. You know. And you think when you're young, you can, you, here, here's another thing I want, if you're younger, here's something I want to think about, if you're think, have you think about. You can kind of waste part of your life and be engaged in things you know deep down you shouldn't. 
And you think when you get older and if you wise up, then you're going to be mature and you live as an adult and so on. Let me tell you something. The things that you are engaged in between the ages of 12, 13, and let's say 25, if they're not real great, they carry with you into adulthood. You may, so to speak, as some people would say, get your act together when you're older, but don't kid yourself. Those things that you did or things that you said or things, whatever, the, the, the life that you sowed are reaped later on in the years. They, 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 they kind of stick to you like glue. And they can have consequences in your life. Okay, I want you to think about that. The life that you live now has consequences. Just, just think about that. Another, another thing, I, can, I know that there are a number of people, as, as Pastor Michael and I deal with people in the pastorate, sometimes you will have people who, are, who were converted later in life, and then when you get to hear their story, shall I tell you what happens sometimes? They'll, go, they'll say, I, w- I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't know anything about Jesus. Not really. And my parents never took me to church, but my grandma did. Took me to church every once in a while, and she brought me to Sunday school. And they always remember that. See, youth is a formative time. Or one other thing. Sometimes you have people grow up in the church. They go through a rough period in their life, a time of rebellion like the prodigal son, right? And then, and then later on, by the grace of God, and it doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does, by the grace of God, they, they come to living faith in Jesus Christ. And, and then when you hear their story, they say, yeah, well, my parents were very faithful, and they prayed for me, and we went to church, and somehow I could never shake that. It had that much of an indelible influence in their life. Youth is a converting time. Take it seriously. So life is short. Youth is a converting time. And then finally this, and, it's, and I'm going to refer to Moses here in just a moment, but we need to count our days when we're young and take the Lord seriously when we're young because, because and sometimes you don't realize this until later, but there are, there are more pleasures up there with the Lord and in here than out there in the world. Okay? Um, how does the psalmist put it? Verse 14. Lord, satisfy us in the early morning hours of our lives with your love to this end, that we may, be reju- that we may rejoice and be glad in our, day. there, in our days. All our days. There's, there's greater pleasure and there's, there's greater love in here and with him than out there. Okay. Now, think of Moses. I'm wondering if he's thinking about this as well. Remember the, the, the story of Moses? Moses uh, grew up in the palace of the king of Egypt. He had everything he wanted. He had wealth. He had women. He had wine. He had prestige. He had a reputation. It was all good. It was a sweet life. But he gave it all up in order to heed the call of God in his life and care for the people of God. And in other words, he was was willing to give up the the pleasures of the palace for a hard but a good life with God and his people. And the book of Hebrews reads like this. When Moses was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, choosing to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the sufferings of Christ greater riches than the wealth of Egypt. And it adds this, because he was looking to the reward. See, in other words, when when Moses kind of grew up, God touched his heart, and then he began to see life 
from an eternal perspective, not from the perspective of the here and now. So what Moses really understood about, about the pleasures of this world is that they're fleeting, that they're illusory, and they're ultimately unsatisfying. What I mean by that is this. Think about it not only in terms of Moses' life, but the prodigal son's life. Right? Remember that the kind of wayward kid who decided to leave the parents, his dad's house, and he's going to go out into the world and enjoy the world. Okay, that's typical. He's probably like 18, 19. I mean, that's what happens, right? So a lot of us can identify with that. So he goes out into the world, and what does he discover? He discovers that the freedoms that the world promised him and the pleasures of the world were a bunch of bunk. Although at, at first it was good, right? So he had his inheritance. He had he had cash, he had friends, and there was, there was, it was the party life, and it was a great life for a while, and then his, his money ran out, and his friends ran out, and he realized the pleasures were fleeting. I mean, they didn't last. He also realized that they were illusory. In other words, they didn't promise what, what they, they didn't uh, give him what, he, what they promised him. They were, they were fake. And finally, they were ultimately unsatisfying. Remember where the prodigal son ended up? Did he end up in a palace? No, he ended up in a pigsty. And it's only when he's in the midst of the pigsty that he comes to his senses. The Bible says, like, nah, this is not a good way to go. This is not good. So I'm going to confess to my father, and I'm going to confess my sins before heaven, and now I'm going to return to my father's house. And when he went to the father's house, that's where he found pleasure. That's where he found pleasure. How many of us here who are older had to go through that prodigal son experience, Right? Yeah, well, sometimes, sometimes you don't start climbing out of the pit until you realize how deep you're in the pit you are. You know, it's like, it's not, it's not good, right? So, I'll just leave you with this, because we want to enjoy our time uh, also in the, the meal that we're going to have together. If you're here this morning, and, you know, you've, you've never really discovered what the psalmist teaches here. Is if, if you've, you've never really counted your days for much of your life, and you've never known the love of the Lord and what it means to belong to Jesus. You know, it's not too late. Ask God to, to reveal his son to you. Ask God to reveal Jesus to you. You say, wait, listen, I never grew up in a Christian family. I never really belonged much to a Christian church. I had a hard upbringing. I've squandered a lot of my life. Okay. Many people like that. Now, what are you going to do about it? You're going to continue to live in the squalor? Or are you going to seek the pleasures of God? Come to grips with who you are. Come to grips with your sin. Be honest with God. Repent it. Be repentant. And you know what? You're going to discover that God is more willing actually to draw near to you than you probably are willing to draw near to him. But don't let that stop you. Draw near to him. The Bible says when you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Entrust your life to Christ. And if you're younger here, oh, you know, give your heart to the Lord. I am, I am telling you somewhat on the basis of experience, but on the basis of being a, a pastor and seeing many things. You, you may try to carve out a life for your own, but you know what? Back to the matter is, you will, you will never be at rest. As the great St. Augustine put it many years ago, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and we are going to continue to be restless until we find our rest in you.
That goes for every one of us. Think about these things, especially when you're young. Heed the call of Christ. Heed the call of Christ now. Indeed, may all of us do precisely that. As I oftentimes say, much more could be said, but for now, enough. Let's come to the Lord and let's pray to him. Heavenly Father, um, from our hearts we pray to you now. And Lord, we ask for your grace and your spirit in our lives that we may, as Jesus says, prioritize his kingdom. In the words of our Savior, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you do that, all things will be added to you. Lord, there are many stories throughout church history. There are many stories in the Bible of of that happening in the lives of people. And we pray, O God, again, that in our own lives, as we recount the stories of the Bible and we count the stories of church history, and as we examine our own lives, Father, we pray that we may be numbered among those who numbered their lives, who took their lives seriously. And Lord, if we're not taking our life really seriously right now, and your claims upon our life, Lord, we pray that you would invade our lives, and that you would do for us, O oh God, a wonderful work that we feel that sometimes we're incapable of doing ourselves. Be gracious to us in that way, O oh God. Collectively, draw us to Jesus. So, Father, we pray all of this. In the name of our faithful Savior, Jesus, who reminds us, apart from me, you can do nothing. We pray this in his name. Amen.